Well, it is my very great pleasure to be with you here at STC. And um, my journeys around the diocese, as you can imagine, uh, have been significantly impacted by COVID um, because of taking up my role just three days uh, after the first national lockdown. It's not often you get an unknown number on your mobile and um, it's an archbishop uh, ringing to tell you uh, quite late at night, really, um, that um, my consecration had indeed been cancelled um, and that he better obey that because the government um, was telling him to close churches. So it was a peculiar beginning, um, as you can imagine. Uh, but thankfully, we're moving into more normal times now. Um, so I'm really grateful to be able to be out and about um, and meeting so many different people in different places uh, across our beautiful diocese. Now, I was told that it would be a good idea to mention a couple of things at the outset um, on my visit to STC, um, and um, that um, comments about dogs and growing vegetables um, are a must. So um, just because I like to be um, compliant, um, I mention that I am the unfortunate owner of a lockdown puppy. Uh, well, more of a floof, really. Um, a cockapoo who looks a bit like a well-worn rug um, at the moment, more than a canine. Um, he has also enjoyed his work in the diocese very much uh, so far. Uh, among other starring roles, he has helped to lead collective worship in his very own Christmas jumper, complete with baubles, uh, for our one and only high school by video. Um, and uh, he managed to do that very well and even pray for all the children, which was fabulous. And of course, when I visit, they only really want to know about the dog. Um, and... Um, He's also played a leading role in the communion service that we had as a staff team at my house recently, where he took up a, a position of adoration, um, either looking at me or looking at the elements, the bread and the wine on the table, obediently, at least till the postman arrived. Now, as for vegetables, I can't make any great claims, other than having had a key role in watering my husband's potatoes, and we eagerly anticipate their unveiling in June, and I have to say that he has already overclaimed that they will be the tastiest potatoes uh, for miles around, but we'll wait and see about that, shall we? Anyway, dogs and homegrown veg aside, although I haven't visited on a Sunday before, um, it was great to be at the Joined Up conference here um, at STC. So uh, you hosted that generously, um, which was a wonderful event uh, for all those particularly working with children and young people in a whole variety of ways uh, across our region. But my hope really this morning is to encourage you as his church. Uh, I can only say, I think I speak for Bishop Pete as well, um, that we are just so blessed by your presence in this diocese. You contribute so much to our life together, and we are delighted. I know we've made jokes about your first year, Tom, uh, but uh, we are so delighted about the way that Tom and the team here and all of you um, are really grasping the vision that God has for you as a church um, it's such an encouragement. I cannot tell you uh, what a joy that is to us, both as bishops and as a senior staff team. So I've chosen Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, um, and um, 
I'm going to read it now, and if you like to have those words in front of you, um, I think that it will also be on the screen for you. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's just pray. Loving God, we thank you for your words of life to us in Scripture. We pray, come Holy Spirit of the living God and fall afresh on your people this morning. Would you speak the word that we need to hear? You know our lives, you know our heart's desire, and you know our needs better than we. And so we pray, Lord, that in the power of Spirit, you would illuminate your message and help us to connect with you through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's where we are as we come to chapter 5 in Paul's letter to the Romans. In the previous four chapters, Paul has fo focused on what justification by faith is like. The whole idea that there was nothing that they could do to earn the right to access God. Now, this was a particularly important message for the Gentiles, those not born into the Jewish faith. And Paul makes the point very clearly in a number of different ways in those early chapters that it was God's initiative and that it's open to all. God's initiative and the invitation to know him freely is open to all. And it's hard to grasp, I think, what a radical message that really was at the time of writing. Paul had experienced the utter transformation that takes place in a human life when touched by God. That was his own, what we might call today, lived experience. 
And there are little pieces of the jigsaw that we can put together of Paul's particular journey before that dramatic transformation. For we know his heritage, he was being prepared for greatness as a future Jewish leader. And we even see him at the murder of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And he was playing a role which was not a good one. He was cheering on in the background. So when he's struck by the Spirit on the way to confront those that he thought of as blasphemers, followers of the way, as the first Jesus people were called, bang, he meets the risen Christ on the road. And the challenge that he hears is both direct and very personal. Why are you persecuting me? He hears an audible voice. And this must have been confusing to Paul. Who was he persecuting? Well, he was persecuting the Jesus people. Not realizing until then that Jesus people are the body of Christ. They were then and they still are now. You know the story. He was blinded for several days before God sent Ananias rather bravely to minister And none of this, this reminds us, was in Paul's control. It was all God's initiative. And I think this is really important when we come to chapter 5 because it shaped Paul's whole understanding of what it means to be encountered by the living Jesus. In our individualistic society where we have so many choices that we can make available to us, It can often seem like it's our free choice that we do all the choosing. But actually, that's not so. God is at work in every human life. He was then and he still is today. And Paul's view of the only appropriate response to this is complete surrender. Complete surrender. All God's initiative and open to people everywhere. Those who up to them were excluded by virtue of not being born Jewish were now invited in. It's hard for us to imagine just what an enormous moment of liberation and freedom this is. It's an utterly life-changing message. And that's why he could say in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And then Paul moves into the outworking of justification in the lives of God's people. And there's so much richness here uh, in chapter 5. But this morning, I'd like to focus in three areas. The spirit, suffering, and salvation. The spirit, suffering, and salvation. First, the spirit. In verse 5, we read, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
This is what happens to those who have been justified by faith. They, we, have been given the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you know that, but that's just amazing, isn't it? We have been given the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jimmy Dunn, in his commentary on this verse, describes it as being like a cloudburst on parched land. That outpouring being like a cloudburst on parched ground. So this verse speaks profoundly of the abundant generosity and goodness of our God. A cloudburst on a parched land. Well, this ought to be second nature to us. We're British. We love talking about the weather. But of course, often we don't like to talk about things that potentially we can't control. Potentially overwhelm us, even. Cause a bit of chaos. Interrupt our plans. Well, this is such a thing, isn't it? This is about being overtaken by the goodness of God. His generosity and abundance in the form of love. Never really thought about God love bombing, but this might be the kind of definition. And it's not a theory either. It's a full embodied experience. There's a real physicality to it. So we can pray with confidence for the healing of the body, for example. This is what God does through his Holy Spirit. A cloudburst on parched ground. So how does this work? Well, progressing from uh, chapter, through the chapters, um, interestingly, from Paul's own very individual encounter with Jesus, in which he's addressed by direct speech very personally, as I've just said, he then writes to the Romans, and it, you can track the progress from the first person singular, I am not ashamed, and then as the chapters progress you can watch the pronouns change, which is really fascinating. He speaks of they and you, and here we are in chapter five, we. You know, one of the things I listen out for working with um, Christian leaders, and I have done for many years now, obviously I am one and have been one, is whether they use the language of we or not. Um, it's probably second nature to you that that happens here, but let me tell you, it isn't the case everywhere. And I'm a bit concerned when I hear people talk about their, their people, if you like, that they lead as they. It tells me something. Anyway, by the time we get to chapter five, it's we, us. This is what happens when the spirit works in our lives. I becomes we. The spirit forms us as the people of God. I becoming we is one of the greatest privileges of Christian leadership as we see people one by one responding to God and taking up their place among his people, growing in maturity and most crucially growing in love. 
seeing the fruits developing in the lives of his people in different ways. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility, gentleness, and self-control. We used to have a sign on the vicarage uh, fridge that said, uh, are these growing day by day? So when you got your milk for the coffee, you thought about it. Of course, everyone's journey and development is different. There isn't one right way to do this. Just as human children grow into adults at different times and in different ways. But it's always the result of the work of the spirit in a person's life through the generous gift of God. So STC, how thirsty are you for God today? Good, amen. Maybe you even didn't know that you're thirsty before you arrived this morning. Or maybe you were thirsty but you've lost the thirst and you long to have it again. Parched land in desert spaces There's lots of metaphors in scripture that God, through Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, replenishes his people, and the more we give, the more he pours in. We can't hold him. The more we give away, the more he pours in. And we can't give what we don't have. In this diocese, we're very keen, as you uh, well know here, to see churches equipped and well-resourced, to be able to flourish, yes, but more than that, to grow stronger, to be able to give away. To mirror the generosity of God that we have seen and known in Christ. And we love that you're taking this so seriously here at STC. We love that you're taking it so seriously and being generous with it at STC. Thank you. It's so easy, isn't it, especially in view of COVID, which has battered us all, to look out for your own interests. But instead, after Christ, you're looking outward to the interests of others. And it's wonderful to hear the ways that you've done that in the past as a church, and such a joy to see that emerging in the future. As you build on your Baptist-Anglican partnership to be generous and see how God will enable your planting and grafting into Fervale and also into Stannington and God willing other places too in the future. This is just one beautiful expression of the work of the Spirit. But in order to ensure that continual generosity, there will need to be a complete reliance on God's grace you will need to keep standing under the cloudburst. And that's why the discipline of meeting together, praying, studying, witnessing to others, serving, all the ways we grow will be vital. As the more you seek to give away, the more you will need that daily dependence upon the outpouring of God's gracious favor through his Holy Spirit. He will give you all you need. Most crucially, of course, a heart of love. As I mentioned earlier, we served in Uganda. And uh, during that time, we had a rather unusual car. I don't recommend trying to drive in Uganda. It's an absolute nightmare. But anyway, uh, God gave me courage and just about managed it. But anyway, um, so we had this unusual car. And um, 
there are many unusual cars in Uganda, but this one had a massive slogan painted on either side. It wasn't tasteful, I've got to say. And it said, Jesus gives peace <laughs> um, on both sides of the car. I'll tell you what, I needed it. But anyway, I mean, you could try it in Sheffield. It would certainly get attention. But um, anyway, well, one of the things that I learned uh, pretty quickly was that he doesn't just give peace. In Uganda, he also gives immense rain. I mean, I th we think we know about rain here in the UK. But let me tell you different. This is wet through to your pants in under 30 seconds. Okay. And it's the only time that I ever saw self-respecting, crisp, starched, white shirt-wearing Ugandans run when the rain was coming and it comes fast. When I taught uh, in my sort of semi-outside classroom, the rain was so loud you had to stop teaching. This is the kind of outpouring available to us. None of this British drizzle malarkey. <laughs> so, enough about the Spirit of God. I'm going to move on. and The next two points are shorter, I promise. Second, suffering. Now, I'm sure that some of us don't need me to say a great deal about this just at the moment. There will be some of you who've experienced immeasurable suffering just even in these past few weeks, but of course over these past few years, for all kinds of reasons in all kinds of ways, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, bereavement, and so on. So I do want to say a few things here, and I do want to try and say them very carefully. Having just said that the Spirit forms us as God's people, we also note that we are greater together than the sum of our parts. For it's in and for community that we're shaped. It's in and for community that we're shaped. And the times we learn most about ourselves is in and through community. One of the crucial things that happens when we move from I to we God's people, his community, is the formation of Christian character. And that, friends, is not easy. Nowhere is this more forged more clearly than through suffering. And we all know suffering is part of a fallen world and the lived experience of our human bodies. Sadly, we can't avoid it. The more we love, the more likely we are to suffer because it comes through vulnerability and risk and exposure of one to another. So Paul says this is how suffering works. Suffering, perseverance, character and hope. Now some of you may be going through something really tough right now and it doesn't really feel like this. And often when we're steeped in the pain of our experience... We can't really see the way that God may be at work. But Paul shows that even in the worst of it, we carry on because God is with us and he is our hope. 
And hope here isn't wish fulfillment. Hope in the New Testament is solid ground on which we stand. And this doesn't make suffering gone or speedily resolved, but rather we have one who is with us and we stand because he enables us. And we're living at a time of great hardship for many people, aren't we? I know here at STC, you've been spending time with God, looking at who God has formed you to be as you move forward, how God has made you his own, so that you may encourage and reach out to the brokenhearted, the dying, the sick, the poor, those in need. And there are so many ways that you already do this. Of course, this isn't just about church gathered, it's also about church sent, wherever you are in your day-to-day life. We often talk about mobilizing the whole people of God for the whole mission of God. So where is your mission field, I wonder? And if you're not quite sure, why don't you pray the dangerous prayer, break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours? And that leads me to my third and final point. Why? Well, because of salvation. We have been saved and we long that others may be too. I wonder what your story of salvation is. Mine was a seemingly unremarkable invitation to a youth group one night, which utterly changed my life because I was introduced to the Lord Jesus. Pray for youth workers, they do amazing things. But you know, the church is not just for those who are deemed acceptable. For none of us is acceptable before God, except for Jesus and his salvation. We are those who have been justified by his blood, so we have been saved through his life. And I want to finish by, I must finish in a minute, I'm just looking at the time. Um, But we have, I just want to share with you one thing that I've brought with me uh, to show you before I finish. Uh, We as a family have been involved in children's ministry. Um, I have pretty much since I was a child. First experience of leadership was leading a group of five-year-olds at the age of 13. That was before all the safeguarding. I'm really welcome the safeguarding regulations. I don't know what I taught them. I think some of them are still following Jesus, but anyway... At one season, we lived in a housing estate just outside Oxford. Um, And um, uh, what was brilliant was that the people who lived upstairs from us, we shared a house with someone else uh, who's now a bishop. But anyway, um, uh, they were upstairs. They'd worked with some children on our estate uh, through the years before we came. And then they moved on to Curacy, and we inherited their children from the street. And so by day, I'd be wrestling with my particular essay in the, in the library or whatever, and I'd drive home on my bicycle and find a little queue of nine-year-old girls on my doorstep uh, when I got home. So I decided to use the opportunity to teach them the Bible, uh, help them learn to pray. Um, and uh, on one particular occasion, I remember, I used to do memory verses with them, and we used to set them to music and dancing and everything. Anyway, um, we, uh, I taught them that verse just at the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I've never forgotten that day because each of the girls prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into their lives. Their families knew where they were, by the way. But the week after, there was a knock at the door. And this little girl, she presented me with this at the doorstep. She said, I made it for you. 
I told my dad what Jesus did for us. And so we went into the shed and we made this. She said, it should last for a long time. We varnished it. Well, it absolutely stank to high heaven because she hadn't just varnished it. They'd covered it with creosote. But this little girl, she didn't have a fabulous relationship with her father. In fact, quite a few of them, that was the case. And here, in all its stinky glory, was a sign that Jesus had not only brought salvation, he'd begun reconciliation in the life of this family. This is what God does. Through the Spirit, through suffering, his salvation. This is the utter privilege we get to be involved in. So, as I becomes we, may we know the Spirit poured into our hearts that together we may minister to those who suffer and grow in our knowledge and love of God that many more may be saved in this Diocese of Sheffield and through the precious ministry of STC today and for all your days to come. Amen.